Gemara Kaddish says that when it says about the month of Nisan, that every um, that the month of Nisan is called Rosh Chodeshim, the head of all months, he says that every day of Nisan is like Rosh Chodesh. This month is a month of Rosh Chodesh. He says the whole month has this element of Rosh Chodesh in it. So it's uh, appropriate to continue learning a mimer of Pesach, because we're still in the uh, in the month of Nisan, month of revelation of, of Galingus. So uh, in general, this is not only relevant to uh, the time when it was said. So especially now, this new discourse that was just uh, published certainly something that we should focus on. So I just want to recap what we did in the first um, class. It's been a while. The Mimer is based on the four questions of the Manishtana. And the Mimer is actually shaped in the same way that the four questions are. That means that the Rebbe asked, the four, he asked four questions in this discourse. And, he, and when saying these questions, he says... The first question is, the second question is, as if he is a child asking the questions from his father. So, the first question is, what's the reason that specifically in the fourth question about reclining, do we say the words, why in all other nights we sometimes eat sitting up straight, and sometimes, sometimes we eat reclining, and on this night, all of us recline. What's the emphasis of the words all of us? Why does it say all of us? What's the um, that what's that word kulanu con- contributing? Uh, this night we recline. Like the, like we say by the other three questions, I should have said on this night uh, we dip, on this night we eat matzah, on this night we eat mar, on this night we recline. Why why do we add the word all of us? That's question number one. The question is a little greater because uh, if anything, the only, the only, um, uh, the only thing that um, not all of us do is reclining, because it says that uh, women are not obligated to lean, unless uh, there's a, there's a lot of discussion about women. Children are not obligated to lean. A student in front of his teacher is not obligated to lean. As the custom is in the house of, of our Rebbe, and that only the Rebbe would lean, everyone in the presence of the Rebbe would not lean. So if we're going to use this inclusive phrase, all of us, in any of the four questions, the last one we would think of using, the last question that we would think of using that word for, would be the fourth question. So the qu- second question that I've asked is, so why do we say all of us regarding to the fourth question? Why is that inclusive phrase used for the fourth question? And the third question is, all the four questions correspond to the four worlds. So the fourth question corresponds to the world of Atsilus. So a question is associated with evil. And in the world of Atsilus, there is no evil. And it says in Tanya, in Gersa Kedesh, that there in Atsilus, there is no question, there is no argument. So how can there be a kushia, how can there be klippa in the world of Atsilus? That's, that's a question that the Rebbe asks here, the third question the Rebbe asks. And this question was was posed to the previous Rebbe at the Seder. At the, in Tafshin Dalit in 1944. So at the previous Rebbe Seder, when someone asked him, how could there be a question at Silas? The fourth question corresponds to Silas, how could there be a question? So the previous Rebbe responded that this is similar, this is analogous 
to the hard labor. It says in the Torah that the Jewish people, when they were in Egypt, they had hard labor. They work with mortar and brick. And the Zohar says that mortar uh, refers to Kalva Chaymer, the method of Torah study where you're able to extrapolate from one law to a law in where the circumstances are even more giving, leaning towards the same halachic ruling than the first. And Liban uh, Hilchos, the word brick, means to clarify halach. So just like there is a concept of hard work in this world, there's also a concept of working hard in Torah. Uh, parenthetically, and not so parenthetically, that said by studying Torah and giving your all in Torah, that takes away some strain from this world, that by putting yourself in the Torah, so that removes some of the concealment of godliness. So, the um, tzaddikim may not have this hard work physically, but they do have this strain in the study of Torah. And so just like we find that they have work in their level, um, and the reason they have work is because there's a concealment of godliness, so too we could say there's a question in the world of Atsilus. The question in the world of Atsilus is more like a clarifying question. It's not a real concealment of godliness. Rather, it's a concealment for the purpose of getting to the revelation. It, it, it's a state where it may be concealment, but in the state of concealment itself, it's clear that this concealment is meant to go further. It's, it's a question, a leading question. I don't know if it's like a rhetorical question, where it's clear that the question is pointing towards the answer, but it's not a question that's confusing. It's a question that is meant to clarify, to reveal something. That's what the previous Shabbos says. So, it sounds like to me that, um, just like Chassidah says, for example, about work in general, Chassidah says that, um, why is it that people have to go to work? And it's because Hashem wants that His sustenance should flow through a through concealment, through nature. And because of the sin of the tree of knowledge, uh, Hashem told Adam and Chava, by the, sweat, by the sweat of your brow you should eat bread. There has to be this concealment. There has to be the sweat of your brow. As opposed to before the sin of the tree of knowledge, there was no need for the sweat of your brow. There just... You just you did work before the sin of the tree of knowledge as well. Before the sin, there was a concept of work, but not this hard labor by the sweat of your brow. So the Shem wants his sustenance to go through a, the concealment, and sometimes the concealment is greater than other times. So the idea of hard work is not relevant to tzaddikim, but there is some concept of work in Torah. There is they also experience concealment in their level. There is something that they're missing and they need to work hard to get to. There's a famous story of Tzemach Tzedek that the Tzemach Tzedek uh, once shared how the Alter Rebbe wanted to give him Torah as a gift and Tzemach Tzedek said that he refused because he wanted to discover the Torah with his own effort. But uh, later <coughs> he regretted it because he said if, even if he had gotten the Torah as a gift there's still so much more in Torah that he could have, could have achieved on it on his own, even after the altar would have given him whatever level of Torah he would have given him, there's still so much more in Torah he could have um, worked to receive because Torah has no, inf- has no end, Torah is in- infinite. Either way, so, so there's a concept of, of, of toil in Torah, and so Tzaddikim experienced that, they, can experience con- they experience the concealment of godliness in their level, they have to work hard to study Torah. So perhaps you might say that when we talk about a question at Silos, 
The question, the previous Rebbe says, the question is just a clarifying kind of question, not a real concealment. That's what the previous Rebbe actually said. But the Rebbe says that the explanation doesn't satisfy us. Why not? Because when the child asks the question of his father, he says, Dad, I want to ask you four kashis. He doesn't say, I want to ask you four questions, which questions could be clarifying questions or rhetorical questions. He says, I want to ask you four kashis. Kashis means something which is, really, which is a real disturbance, not just a concealment for the purpose of revelation, a real disturbance. So the question is, how is it possible that there could be a kushya in the world of Atzilus? How does a kushya exist in Atzilus? And the, that's the third question that it poses. And the fourth question is, the language of the questions was established in the Mishnah and the Talmud. And then it was ruled in the Rambam how the phraseology of the questions should be. And then it was, subsequent to this, it was put into the Siddur of the Alter Rebbe. So, so the question is, what's the reason for the intro that we give to the four questions? Why is this night different than all to other nights? Just ask the four questions. Why does the questioner have to introduce his questions with, why is this night different to all the nights? There must be something about the introduction that we don't have in the subsequent four questions. Because the rule is that when the Talmud gives us information and first gives a summary of what it's going to say and then says the details, the Talmud always says that there's a purpose for the initial summary. It's not just to um, bring us into the subject. The Talmud gives that summary in order to, uh, in order to uh, later um, tell us that there's something that the summary added that wasn't there in the, in, the, in, the, um, in the subsequent details of that summary. So if the mission and the language of the Rambam is this amazing book, which is so short, so brief, it contains such, such amazing, so, so many details, what is the purpose of the child saying, why is this night different to all their nights? How does that add something to his subsequent four questions? I once heard that, um, that the answer to the four questions is actually the four questions themselves. In other words, <laughs> I don't know where Rabbi Fishman got this from, but he shared with us when, in second grade that the child asks the question, why is this night different to all their nights? And the child answers his own, his own questions and says, I'll tell you why it's different. On all the nights we don't dip, and this night we dip. And all the nights we don't eat matzah, this night we eat matzah. It's sort of like an answer. But that's a little bit of a chiddush. That's a little bit of a novel way of learning the four questions on the surface. The answer to the four questions is, we were slaves in Egypt. But the, um, the, uh, 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 the four questions are the four questions. And the question the Rebbe has, the fourth question the Rebbe has is, what's the purpose of the intro why is night different to all the nights? He's going to say the four questions or say the questions. Why does he need the intro? Then Debra asks a question after asking four questions. He asks another question. Um, it's a, sort of a reverse of the question before. Um, instead of asking like, the question before, why do we need the intro? Debra's question is, why do we need the questions in the first place? Halachically, Asking anything is sufficient. Anything that you ask is sufficient. You don't have to have any specific question to fulfill the mitzvah. You have to ask a question, but you don't have to ask any specific question. The Torah says you should tell the story to your child. So the Talmud infers from the word vihigadata, which means to tell the story to your child, 
that the way you're supposed to tell this to your child is after he asks a question. Your child first asks you a question, and you respond with the Haggadah. So any question that the child asks is sufficient for your response. You don't need to have any specific question. So, as the Talmud says about uh, Rab Nachman, that Doro, his servant, asked a question, and this Rab Nachman said, Ah, I'm sorry, yeah. Rab Nachman asked his servant Doro a question, and the Talmud says that Doro responded and said, We don't have to have four questions at the Seder anymore because you already asked a question. Once a question is asked, we're good. So the question is, why do we need to have four questions in the first place? That's the fifth question that they're asked. The sixth question he asks is, uh, why is this night, but by the fifth and sixth question, doesn't say the fifth question, is only by the first four. So the sixth question he asks is, why do we say, uh, why is this night different to all their nights? We should say, why is this night different to all their times? Why do we emphasize the word night? And the seventh question is, why do we say, why is this night different to all the times? We should have said, why is this time different to all the times? You could have said, the sixth question is, why do we say, why is this night different to all other nights specifically? We could have said, why is this night different to all the times? And the seventh question is, why do we say, why is this night different to all other nights? We could have said, why is this time different to all other um uh, time different to all the nights. So combine those questions together, we could have said, why is this time different to all the times? Why do we specifically say, why is this night different to all the nights? So to understand all these questions, we're going straight for the deepest question. The question is, um, the question we have is, um, how is there Klippa in Atsilus? What is the meaning of Klippa? In Hatzils. What does that mean? So, to understand this, we have to explore a little bit what Klippa was before the sin of the Tree of Knowledge. Go a little bit into the history of Klippa. It says that before the sin of Adam and Eve, before they did the sin of the Tree of Knowledge, Klippa existed. Another discourse, Debra Hashab, Debra Hashab actually says, uh, discussing the resurrection of the dead at Ches HaMesim and uh, the, the purification the body will need to experience after Mashiach comes um, because of the way, of, way humans are born there is a need for additional purification uh, and he discusses whether Adam needs to have this purification process as well who was created by God's hand and his conclusion is that he does because he says at even at the time of Adam there was klippa. There was klippa means a concealment of godliness. There was a, the klippa means something which covers, which is there to just to hide godliness. So even in the time of Adam, there was klippa. So what would what changed through the sin of the tree of knowledge to the klippa? If klippa existed before the sin of the tree of knowledge, so what changed? So klippa before the sin of the tree of knowledge in the language of Chassidus, was called the Moisres of Kedusha. Moisres means the hindermost and the most unnecessary parts of Kedusha. It, it sounds similar to um, the way Chassidus describes uh, the energy in hair. It says that the brain uh, gives sustenance to the hair, but hair is a Moisres, it's from the part of the brain which is 
which is the nethermost and the most, uh, which, 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 which is, um, I don't know why you say the word, leaks out. That's, it's, not, it's not so, um, uh, it's not part of the essence of the intellect. It's something which is just ex- extraneous, something which is, which is not so important to it. So in Kedusha also, there's a higher levels of Kedusha. There's the sort of, speak, the meat and potatoes of holiness. And there's the nethermost parts of holiness. So before the sin of the tree of knowledge, Klippa existed. Klippa was <clears throat> the nethermost part of holiness. And it was a lower level. It didn't interfere with holiness. It stayed in its place, and holiness stayed in its place. And it was um, not opposing to holiness. There is a concept of, of Klippa in the service of Hashem. It says that... Uh, that a person may ask, say regarding approaching the service of Hashem, a person may ask himself, "Who am I to begin to serve God? What am I to, to begin to serve God? Who, who says that I'm able that I'm, that I'm worthy to be a servant of God?" So, so this says that you have to have this sense of You have to have the sense of, as a verse says, his heart was raised, his heart was proud in the ways of God. So you cannot. Um, succumb to this voice which says you're less than and God doesn't mean you and you can't be you have to say no Hashem does mean me and I have a mission to do and I'm needed and I can serve God so just like when you have a fruit there has to first be the peel of the fruit to protect the, the fruit while it's growing from all the seasons from the rain and from the sun and from the moon and it's precisely the peel which allows the fruit to later be revealed so too, there is a sort of like clipper in the initial service of God in the sense that the self-confidence you need to have to begin to serve God is sort of like clipper. It's the it self-confidence, it's this, this self-worth um, is a concealment. It's, 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 it's highlighting you as you. Um, so that, that um, paradigm is like the peel of the fruit that allows the fruit to exist. And allows the fruit, meaning your subsequent service of Hashem, can be there because you initially said to yourself, yes, I could do this. Yes, I can. So the klippa produced the fruit. The peel produced the fruit. So in a similar way, it says that when Hashem initially created klippa in the world of Atsilas, the klippa, well, the klippa that existed before the sin of a tree of knowledge um, wasn't something that interfered with holiness. It was merely a preservative, something that allowed holiness to be there uh, for the sake of revelation. There begins a halachic, halachic parallel to um, to this uh, concept of of, of klipa. On Shabbos, there's a din that um, there's a din on Shabbos that um, if you're not allowed to do 39 malachas, 39 things are prohibited to do on Shabbos, are biblically pro- forbidden. But they're only forbidden if they are done for an intrinsic purpose. If you're only doing them for some circumstantial need, then they're not biblically forbidden according to many opinions. So for example, there's a question whether cutting your hair is biblically forbidden if you don't need the hair. You're cutting your hair. You're cutting your hair because you want to look nice. So it's not that you want 
the hair itself. You're cutting the hair for the purpose of, of something else. If you wanted the hair itself, okay, so then you're doing the, the, the something which is forbidden in the Torah, you're cutting, you're shearing, because of you want the act of shearing itself, like shearing wool. But if you're cutting your own hair, more, more ordinarily you don't want the hair. So it's malacha she'inatzrich legufa. It's a work which is done not for an intrinsic value. So in a similar way, the purpose of klipa before the, the sin of the tree of knowledge was merely the purpose of revelation. It was something that allowed it to be revelation. There had to be klipa, klipa enhanced revelation. But it wasn't something that, that opposed holiness. Klipa served before the sin of the tree of knowledge as a concealment to allow Kedusha to be revealed. There had to be some klipa to, um, to cause it to be revelation. Uh, but through the sin of the tree of knowledge, something new emerged. The sin of the tree of knowledge caused it to be a confusion, where holiness and the unholiness began to mix together. Instead of Klippa being, in the language of Chassidus, tachas kolayilmas, under all the worlds, in their, in their own zone, instead Klippa started to mix with holiness. As it says in other places in Chassidus, a Klippa wants to get nourishment from holiness, wants to steal from holiness. And therefore, Kalippa uh, enters the realm of holiness to fight with it, to get, to, to, to divert God's energy to the, to the uh, unholy. It's very important to underscore the uh, Havdil. Now, we don't believe, like in other religions do, that, there are more, that there's more than one force that exists in the world. We only believe in one God, and everything that happens in the world is by divine providence. But the feeling of Kalippa is that Kalippa wants to to um, channel, divert the sustenance, the flow of godliness to Kedusha and to f- bring it into the realm of Klippa. And therefore it opposes and fights with Klippa. So uh, that's why it says in the Book of Formation, as a result of the Tree of Knowledge, the sin of the Tree of Knowledge, there is no good without bad, there is no bad without good. So before the sin of the Tree of Knowledge, we clip is in its pristine state. Um, clip does not oppose holiness. Only after the sin of the tree of knowledge, where there is the um, a mixture between holiness and the unholy, does Klippa now um, fight with holiness and uh, try to mess things up? Good morning. Good morning. Okay, this is. Um, Similar sentiment is is um, this is the reason why Klippa only exists up until the um, clip can only reach a place that sin can reach. It says that there's no forgetfulness in front of your throne of glory. What does that mean? What is a throne of glory? What's forgetfulness? And what does that have to do with our subject? The throne of glory is a, is the world of Bria. Why is, why is the throne of glory the world of Bria? The world of Bria is a place where there are souls and angels in a state of rapture, in a state of dvekus with godliness. So it's called the throne room, where the, there's a king, and the, oh, everyone's there in the, pre, in the presence of the king, and they're all um, focused on the king. That's the world of Bria. So that's the place where sin can reach, 
and that's a place that Klippa can reach. Uh, forgetfulness, why do we forget things? Everyone said that, uh, say the psychologists discovered something now that, that 100 years ago, that uh, Chassidus was saying uh, long before. Um, that is, that the concept of mental block or denial is something that's created because the animal soul doesn't want to um, doesn't want to uh, um, acknowledge certain things because the, it's difficult for the animal soul to, to assimilate some things. The animal soul decides to forget about them. It's easier for them for the animal soul to to just to render some things like non-existent in order to make things easier for the animal soul. So, um, so clipper. This, this, it's, it's because uh, things that are more comfortable for me because of my sense of self that I want to protect myself and I, and I cause myself to forget certain things. So, so only as long as there is klippa can there be forgetting. But, but without klippa, there's no concept of forgetting the things. Only because of this, this self-preservation is there, a need, is there a concept of forgetting. So where does klippa exist? Klippa exists... In the world of Bria, in the world of Yitzira, in the world of Asiya, it says in other places in Zayar that in the world of, of, of uh, Bria, there is a little bit of Klippa. In the world of Yitzira, this half and half Klippa and, and holiness are, are equal. In the world of Asiya, there's more Klippa than, than, than Kedusha. But in front of the throne of glory, which means not just in front of, but higher than, higher than the throne of glory, there is no forgetfulness, there's no Klippa. So sin cannot reach a place um, that is uh, sin cannot reach higher than the um, uh, than klippa. Klippa uh, sin. Let me say this again. The sin in the tree of knowledge is what caused the klippa to intermingle with everything. So klippa can only reach where sin can reach. And since sin only reaches the world of Bria, therefore, Klippa can only reach the world of Bria. So because the world of Atsilus is higher than sin, and therefore higher than Klippa, what's the meaning of the question of, in, in Atsilus? How could there be this concept of, of, of a, a, a real, um, a, not, not a clarifying question, but a kushya, how could there be clip in the world of Atsilus if the world of Atsilus is a place of revelation of Hashem's truth? Okay, we're going to have to stop right now. I know we're in the middle, middle of the middle of a subject. Mr. Hashem, we'll get this tomorrow. Have a great day. Leave